0: To the Mad Max Minute, where deals break hard in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 52, which begins with things just 100% snafu, (laughs) which nothing a week in the tropics won't fix. But it ends with Furiosa loading a shotgun. Joining us this week from the Cabin Minute cast and the upcoming Escape from New York Minute, it's Molly Balin.
1: Hey guys! Hello! Welcome. I'm very happy to be back. Yay!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, one thing I forgot to say before we started recording, these episodes are coming out in July, so when I said upcoming Escape from New York Minute, is that true? Like, what's the release schedule?
1: (laughs) It will probably be up by July. Okay. Yeah, we're, yeah, I think we'll definitely be up by July. Maybe late May, June is probably more accurate now that I'm thinking about it. But yes, July for sure.
0: Excellent. So, when we get to the end of the episode, you can tell everybody where to find that stuff, and, you know, we'll deal with the time travel consequences of what I just said, you know, when we get to it. That's a problem for future us to worry about. We're recording this back in March, so we're carefree at this point. You guys are just efficient, is what you are. (laughs) (laughs) We try. Last week, which... Thank your lucky stars you weren't around for that, because <laughs> it was just three solid minutes of tension buildup. Mm. We had driving, we had plan explanation, we had a whole lot of quiet anxiety going on, and now we're finally getting to that point where things are starting to break down.
1: Mm. It is true, yes. Um, there's a There's a deal here that furiosa had made with the rock Riders that uh, is going to go down in i, I want to say flames as cliche <laughs> as it <that laughs> is, but <laughs> uh the uh she yells fool out mm-hmm. which is it's it's interesting because i i reviewed this movie just prior to the recording and i've seen this movie a couple of times before i am i'm a big fan of this movie and especially in this particular minute like the the editing is like it's just like ice cream, man. It's just so good. It's just so tasty good. But yeah, I was like, fool. I'm like, what was fool about? So I was so glad that I went back to the the previous, well, seeing the whole movie to be able to get the context of like why she's yelling fool out for go- no good reason. And it was mm-hmm. just, you know, from the previous minute, um, you know, Max not being forthcoming with his name.
2: I love that when she asked Max his name and he wouldn't give it to her and she was like, okay, then I'll call you fool. It was almost a joke Mm -hmm. or could have been construed as a joke or being sarcastic but now that it's time she actually says fool yeah (laughs) I really like that she came through with what she said I do too
0: (laughs) it's an effective safe word for the situation because that's really what it is (laughs) the situation has gotten to a point where she's not comfortable with what's happening and Mm -hmm. so she's calling out the safe word and they're moving on Mm Mm-hmm. totally they're not going to dwell on it For the sake of all parties involved.
2: I would like to dwell a moment on (laughs) why she calls out fool. Mm -hmm. I know that tension had been building and building and building. And that moment was the breaking of the tension that's been building for the last few minutes. Mm -hmm. Why did she call out fool now? Until this moment when she starts looking around in a little bit of worry, maybe paranoia. Things were kind of going okay. Not perfect, but okay. Mm -hmm. Why didn't she just walk to the back of the fuel pod, unhook it, and go from there?
0: I think that's the million-dollar question, because yes, the war parties are coming. Like, we Mm -hmm. saw them come around the corner, and at the top of this minute, you've got the Rock Rider chief. He can see all those guys, too. Mm -hmm. And he turns back to look at Furiosa, and I have to wonder, like, would there have been enough time between... The Rock Rider chief looking at the war parties approaching and Furiosa being so close to that hitch. So close to just popping those brake lines and unhooking the fuel pod from that connection. I mean, it's not an easy thing. It's not like you pull one pin
2: mm-hmm. and then it
0: starts drifting away like beyond Thunderdome. It's not like <laughs> the Finger is going to reach out and hold these things together. <laughs> it's a complicated connection. And time is of the essence. And I have to wonder... Is it just that Furiosa feels the gunfire approaching?
2: And she knows there just isn't enough time? Yeah. I actually really prefer that explanation, because the explanation that I kind of had in my head was that she never intended to actually give them the fuel. Mm. And I don't like that. I don't like Mm. that. We want Furiosa to be the noble one here. Mm -hmm. she's the savior of this movie for all the posturing that joe does trying to be the savior and telling everybody that he is their savior in the narrative of the movie it's actually furiosa so we don't want to see her have any sort of nefarious plans we Mm -hmm. don't want her to fall from her pedestal Mm -hmm. so i'm really hoping that there's other good explanations on why she didn't just release the fuel pod yeah
0: molly what do you think
1: well i think it's interesting because i actually went on reddit there were people who had a similar thought that you did, Julia, of like, why not just unhitch it and and just, you know, make good on it? And when I first saw the movie, my interpretation was that she never had any intention of giving it to him. That was my first interpretation. And then actually, after I went online and I, I watched it now for the, the third time, um, I think it's actually what Rick is saying, that I think she is anxious and she really needs them to blow that you know, that uh, overpass, I guess, that rock overpass to really block them from coming in. And I think she's afraid that they're not going to do it. And I think that she really feels the pressure and kind of panics and makes a decision to be like, we just got to go now. We just, we just got to get out, you know, because she's really thinking about, you know, the wives essentially, and their safety, you know, and that's really more paramount to her to make sure that they have as much lead time as possible, because these guys are obviously coming in with souped up vehicles too. So I think it's more of the pressure of of the situation. she just kind of
0: like, is like, okay, it's not going that way. We got to go. It's one of those aspects that you look for in a leader to know when to get out. Like, sure, mm. everybody will follow a leader into battle, but the leader that's able to command multiple battles also knows when to withdraw.
1: Yeah. No one to hold them, no one to fold them. Yeah. <laughs> She's making an executive
0: decision. To say, okay, this course of action was our plan, but you know what, at this point, we're not going to do well in this little Mexican standoff that we found ourselves in between the war parties, the Rock Riders, and Furiosa.
1: Mm-hmm, right, because she's, she's going to have everybody breathing down her neck, which she basically does here. But yeah, I think them being able to, to blow the overpass is really the biggest concern at this point.
2: And I think she still could have gotten away with... Hmm releasing the fuel pod, even in hindsight, knowing what's going to happen and the timing of things, if she had released the fuel pod, the Rock Riders would have had no choice but to blow the bridge because that fuel pod is now vulnerably sitting in the middle of the road. In order Mm. to keep the fuel pod safe, they need to block the way from the war parties who will reclaim it, if Mm. not
1: just blow it up. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that there's also... You know, when you when you know that you're doing some sort of back dealing, I think that the, the impression that he obviously had was that they weren't going to have both Gastown and the Bullet Farm, you know, and the Citadel coming for them all at once. And then, of course, for the Guzzoline, and I think that's a lot more heat than these guys had anticipated. And I think that's even more what this is about, less than the actual Guzzoline itself, is that there's this much heat coming down on them.
2: I agree. I think yeah. so.
0: I think the craziest thing about this situation is that Furiosa jumps over the connection to the fuel pod and then uses the fuel pod as a sort of rolling shield when if she was really serious about leaving the fuel pod behind and she wasn't being shot at, which those are two very big ifs. I'll give Mm -hmm. myself that. Those are big ifs. But if she had jumped onto that connection or hung off the back of the tanker, she could be there trying to unhook everything. And then as they're driving along, the fuel pod just kind of drifts away Mm -hmm. and she can leave it behind. But even at this point, if she did that, I still think you're right. There's that heat aspect to it. There's the fact that you've got these three giant war parties bearing down on a tribe of raiders that in the grand scheme of things, they're just a bunch of dudes on motorcycles. They can't (laughs) hope to fight off three war parties that want to get 3000 gallons back.
1: Yeah, I think you're also making kind of an interesting point of, I was just thinking about the physics of like, you've got a tank full of gas, which is somewhat flammable
2: (laughs) and explosive. (laughs) That's
1: taking fire. And I just kind of have to wonder what the, you know, what the resistance there is. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously there's a whole lot of machinery around it, you know, meaning like the war rig itself. And I, I presume that they've had enough accidents that they can protect themselves from, you know, such a thing but i just the the gas fuel the gasoline tank itself was really not protective and i was like oh she could hide behind that it's like no she probably shouldn't hide behind that that doesn't seem very healthy either
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think the major saving grace of that plan is the fact that the rock riders when it comes to firearms you've got the rock rider chief and he's got this little commando ldp and it's a nine millimeter SMG, like it's not mm. firing huge rounds that are mm-hmm. gonna punch holes in this gas pod. And I think he's the only one with a gun that we really see. All the rest of them start throwing fire bombs. Right,
1: yeah, and that's that's a really good point too. I don't know that SMGs are really great at long distances. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're, they're considered a short-range weapon, really. So
0: <laughs> they're good at throwing up little tufts of dirt. Yeah. <laughs> if you've got a well manicured sand garden and someone kicks in your yard with an smg you're gonna have to redraw those lines at some point (laughs) i'm sorry that's just gonna happen
1: oh my god
2: (laughs) i think the strength of the rock riders really lies in their agility Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. we really get to see in this minute Mm -hmm. absolutely right They get moving so quickly that there's a rock rider. He starts at the top of the canyon walls and is down on the floor within a couple of seconds of her crying fool. Oh, yeah. And that's insane.
0: I'm glad you brought that up.
2: Oh, this is my favorite part of this minute of this whole week. This is my favorite moment.
0: So that shot of the rock rider going down the incline Mm -hmm. before we catch up with him later going down to the actual floor that shot right around second 14 they cover that in the blu-ray special feature where they go behind the scenes and talk about the stunts and the rider there is wearing a harness connected to a guide wire and he's riding his motorcycle pretty much off a cliff like to the left of that camera is open air and down at the bottom of that They have the catch point, the net, the boxes, the pads, and everything like that. Just because that was the perfect spot to shoot that angle, they'll just erase the lines after that and call it good. I mean, these
1: guys are crazy, though. These guys are like professional motocross bikers, Mm -hmm. which is like just makes total sense, right? If you're going to do stunts and you're going to do this type of like extreme stunt, it really does make sense to get people who already kind of like do this for (laughs) shits and giggles anyway. So I I just like, again, when I watched this, I was like, oh, this must be all stunt dudes. But then I was reading that the only time that stunt dudes actually come in is actually when they have to do something impacting, like they're, you know, they're hitting the ground, something like that. Hmm. But actually all the writers are legit professionals. This is just another day in the office for them.
0: I think my favorite hitting the ground moment follows Furiosa running along the side of the tanker. Which Mm -hmm. I definitely want to bring it up, because right around 15 seconds we get our first egregious continuity error. So 15 seconds, Furiosa is running along the right side of the war rig. We cut away to the rock rider, who is going down the rocks to Mm -hmm. the canyon floor. And then at 18 seconds, Furiosa is suddenly running along the left side of the war rig. And they didn't think that I would notice (laughs) but i noticed and now i can't unsee it
2: well now neither can i thanks (laughs) i hadn't noticed till you pointed it out
0: now technically you could just take that one shot and mirror flip it so that she's still running on the right side of the thing Mm -hmm. but with the way that they have the guy on the motorcycle come in from the left it's actually better to keep it that way because it keeps all the directions the same like, you're looking at which direction they're going on the screen. Mm-hmm. It just makes a lot more sense to keep it that way.
1: I agree. Well, I think the other thing, as I'm looking at this now, is that it looks like the guy dumps the bike and he slides, mm-hmm. but for a second, you don't see him grabbing onto her legs. You see the the might, or the bike slide under the rig, and then there's a shot where he's now attacking her. But you don't see the connection in between those two shots, and that's a little weird. Like, there there isn't that... You, you see the bike slide, but you don't see him slide off the bike to her. There's like almost like oh, a, a skip in between that's because
2: there. he's on the bike the whole time until he and the bike together pass her, and he grabs onto her and loses the bike, and the bike keeps going.
0: Yeah, if you're really good at pausing...
2: This is, this is the <laughs> part that's my favorite. Yeah. yeah. You go
0: to second 21, and you can see... That this guy is still like 90% on this motorcycle as he grabs Furiosa. And I love it because it's an example of someone in this world that has chosen a form of transportation and mastered it to mm-hmm. the point that he can do crazy stuff like this. And I love that.
2: Now, this has got to be a stunt double, right?
0: I'm pretty sure this is a stunt guy. Yeah.
2: That's hitting the ground. Or are you talking
0: about the actress playing Furiosa?
2: The rock rider.
0: Oh, yeah. This has got to be a stunt guy. Who does the motorcycle slide. I don't think a motocross guy could do it like this.
2: Their skill is in staying upright on the bike.
0: Exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And flipping. I guess that's the distinction. Because there's two Robbie Marshalls. It was kind of interesting. I was reading Robbie Marshall with an IE is the Australian freestyle motocross guy who's in this. And then there's a Robbie with a Y who's American uh, who also does motocross. But I guess the distinction between freestyle and non-freestyle is freestyle, you can go upside down mm. on the bike. And then if it's, I guess, the alternative, you're you're staying on and not <laughs> flipping upside down. Yeah. But staying on is, is key to all of this, it seems. Or at least if you leave it, you have to come back to the bike Right. And make contact altogether back on the ground.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Ideally. <laughs> and this guy is never going to make contact with his bike again. No, unfortunately not. He makes contact with another vehicle. No, no. It's not a motorcycle.
0: Did you notice that this is the second time we've seen an antagonistic force hanging onto the leg of a protagonist in this movie?
2: Yes, I did.
0: I just think it's nice that this time around, Furiosa gets to keep her boot, and we don't have another slit situation (laughs) where shoes are getting pulled off. Because I like the whole... Losing a boot, stealing a boot from someone else, and then eventually getting a boot to even the odds later on. Mm-hmm. But let's keep it between Max and Nux. We don't need to extend it to other characters.
2: <laughs> if it keeps happening, it's less special.
0: Exactly.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, it's really funny.
0: Yeah, it's just,
1: it's complicating things. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, that's let's, let's keep the joke and slur. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, and this... Rock Rider. He starts off so strong, but a couple of swift kicks. And Furiosa doesn't even kick him in the face. She kicks his arms to loosen his grip. And then he just slides down her leg, hits the ground fully with his hands, and then is so quickly left behind and mulched in those tires. Like, goodbye. Thank you for playing. (laughs) A for effort, though. I appreciate it. Absolutely A for effort. That is... (laughs) That's what I'd rate it. A for effort and intention. F for execution, though. You
1: know, if he was playing volleyball, I think everybody would really high five him for really going after it. You know, like, mm, you know, you were, you were good out there, but couldn't quite do it. But we do have that in a little bit in the future with uh, with Knox and and Morton Joe was like, oh, there's a pep talk. You're going to get on the rig. It's going to be so good. I know how to get in there. And it's like, ah, amateur. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, didn't quite work out.
0: No, it doesn't.
1: I love the shot coming up with these rock riders on either ridge. I think that this is such a testament to the editing in this movie that you have, you know, this close up of like the rock rider leader and then you have the other guys on the other side of the ridge and they kind of go back and forth so you can see where he's like, "Okay, it's time. We're going to we're going to blow it." You know, and I just I, I think it's just such a brilliant piece. I mean, this whole movie is just amazing in how it's editing. It's like it's a giant car chase for two hours but Mm -hmm. like breaking down the action is this way is is just really
0: clear it's so good of the three minutes i just like i love this i love how cohesive it is Mm -hmm. like the rock riders are so tuned with each other that Mm -hmm. all the rock rider chieftain has to do is just hold up his hand and there is instant recognition from the other guy he holds up his hand to acknowledge the signal received
2: Mm -hmm. and then
0: they just blow the rocks and they fall down i have to wonder. Right out front of the war party, there's a guy on a motorcycle and there's a guy in a car. And as the rocks fall down, they throw up the dust, we never see those guys again.
2: Mhm.
0: I kind of feel like those two got buried in rocks, kind of like the person who's trying to beat a train across a crossing.
2: Oh. Yeah. I yeah. think so.
0: I think those guys are getting what's the equivalent of 127 hours, but like everything and not just an arm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah they're not gonna dig you out of that No.
2: well 127 hours is how long he was under the rock so this would be eternity
0: Yo, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe the guy on the motorcycle only his pinky is sticking up through the rocks and someone comes over oh, I'll save you and they cut off the pinky
1: <laughs> Oh, that is I something I could out. actually see happening in an edit of this <laughs> of just you know the macabreness of that yeah. War Boys are weird. more boys are weird. There's a t-shirt for your patreon right there. <laughs> <your> patreon.
0: <laughs> My gosh, it's been so long since we added something to the store. <laughs> you know why? Because I'm terrible at art. Oh. <laughs> that is fair. <laughs> I can put words on fabric until the cows come home, but if you ask me to draw a picture, you will be sorely disappointed. <sighs>
1: Man, you can, you know, you, I maybe mean, you can do kind of like a kitty kind of thing. And that could be cool, too. You know, like with Crayon, you can kind of buy that for war boys. I don't know that these guys are, you know, Rembrandts. So
0: certainly not.
1: Anywho, <laughs> speaking of good editing, I love that there's this little shot of her like legs coming up, you know, into the war rig. Mm-hmm. They come back to her after all the dust settles.
0: And I like how the wives are in the tanker. Pulling Furiosa up through the floor. Like, Toast alone probably did the most to keep Furiosa from falling out of the bottom of the tanker, excluding Furiosa's own efforts, of course. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, she had a really good hold on her, you know, actual
1: arm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, have you guys talked about the wives and in general, like, just appearing awfully clean throughout this movie in comparison to everybody else, considering like the dust and the dirt and whatnot? Oh yeah. The thing that really hit me about this movie, and and I know that that's that's intentional because they're almost like they're almost a little bit fairy tale in a sense as characters. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that with a, a storytelling, you know, trope in a sense. But it did just like hit me the first time I saw this movie of like, of course these are like the cleanest, like youngest, like chicks ever. You're out and like you're literally in a cargo hold, and it's like, hey, no no dust on you, no nothing, no smudge, just like you know just straight from the bath man like no problem they must have a sweet jacuzzi tub and that little like (laughs) (laughs) like vault thing the vault apartment they were living in
0: (laughs) I mean it would make sense for them to have more than just that tiny little pool in the middle of the room although I have no frame of reference for what's luxurious when it comes to hermetically sealed harem vaults
1: (laughs) you've not seen that catalog you don't get that at your house (laughs)
0: You know, we didn't mention it when we were talking about the harem, but the little pool in the middle of the room, Mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me, and I hope I'm remembering this right, but didn't Scarface have a giant luxurious suite with a hot tub in the middle of it that I want to say it was Michelle Pfeiffer hanging out in?
1: Yes, that is the classic, like, god tub. Yes, he does. (laughs) I think he even has, like, an inflatable pillow That he's like laying on. And it's just like a giant bubble. It's what everybody should have for a tub. We really should have like Grecian tubs like that. Yeah, it's it's an obscene tub. But yes.
0: I think what bothered me most about that movie, aside from, you know, the rampant drug use and dealing and violence and all that other stuff. (laughs) That was pretty bothersome, but was equally bothersome was the shag carpet that Mm. he had in the room surrounding the in floor hot tub. I'm like, why would you put shag carpeting? next to a hot tub because that stuff is going to get wet it's never going to get properly dried and clean and you're going to get mold and i'm like tony you probably can't smell it anyway because you're coked out of your gourd Word. but you can't mess around with mold <laughs> that stuff will get you sick <laughs> are all you all sure I'm you're
1: not from the pacific northwest because that's a <laughs> That's a common conversation out here. (laughs) You're totally right. You know, he was never long for this world, really. You know, if the the guns were going to get him or the coke, it was going to be the mold. So,
0: you know, speaking about floor coverings in cinema, Mm -hmm. back in the harem, (laughs) the ground there was nothing but like rock and packed dirt. And I imagine that was pretty uncomfortable for women that were not provided with shoes.
2: Hmm. I can attest to that.
0: Like they don't even have little spongy flip flops they can wear.
2: Oh. Well, we don't know that.
0: Well, that's true.
1: We just didn't see them. I guess like they could have been under the bed or something in the back, you know? But I, I mean I guess that's how I, I don't know if that's how he was keeping them in line is like, you know, can you can you give these girls like, some crocs something? <laughs> you know, like
0: Well, I mean, they're already captives. I don't think we need to torture them further by making them wear crocs. <laughs>
2: Well, the choice is oh between God. bare feet on stone and packed dirt and Crocs, I think I'd go for the Crocs. I'm sorry, Han. I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry. If you put the hero of your film in Crocs, I'm gonna root for the antagonist.
1: Can I just like ask for a second? Like, what is I mean, I know that Crocs, and I don't own any. I've never bought them. They've never like aesthetically like done something for me, but I do know there are people who enjoy Crocs. Do you know what the deal is with people really hating Crocs? Like what is it about them like innately that's like like offensive to people?
2: Well, Crocs are made of like a dense foam.
0: Yeah, like floor mats. Yeah, like floor mm, mats.
2: I okay. think that is something that people really, really have against Crocs. It's the unusual material. And also, aesthetically, they're really ugly.
0: Yeah, for me, it's aesthetics. And it's also the fact that if you're wearing that type of foam on your feet all of the sweat and oils that your body produces is going to go right into that foam and it's going to stay in that foam. Which means that you're essentially wearing a sponge that's sucking up all of that nastiness out of mm. your feet day in and day out. And you're just slopping around town in your crappy shoe sponges spreading all that grossness everywhere you go.
2: You've thought about this way too much. I
0: have, because I need to defend my position on things like this.
2: (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) So I'm wearing flip-flops right now. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between the flip-flops I'm wearing with a foamy sole and a fabric thong part and crocs?
0: Crocs completely surround the foot. So there's no way for the foot to breathe outside of those little holes cut in them?
2: Yeah, it's covered in holes. There's plenty of breathing
0: but not as much as flip-flops.
2: No, I will give you that. I don't know why I'm defending Crocs.
0: Yeah, why are you defending Crocs? Are we secretly being sponsored by Crocs and I haven't been told and you're just pocketing (laughs) the money behind my back?
2: Oh my God. If that were the case, would you care?
0: I'm just saying, if we're being sponsored by a company and I'm sitting over here calling it a trash heap, I feel like they would immediately remove that sponsorship. I say like anyone would ever sponsor this podcast.
2: I am the CFO. Of this company. Just let me do my job.
0: (laughs) That is very fair.
1: Will you let me know if Crocs reach out to you after this episode and they give you some money?
2: (laughs) Yes, yes I will. Okay,
0: thank you. Listeners, if you or someone you know (laughs) work for the company that makes Crocs, put in a good word for us and we'll see what happens. (laughs) One thing's for sure. The Rock Riders in this minute are very intent on still getting their fuel. Indeed. Yes, the deal has broken down, but they did actually end up blowing that bridge. They've cut off that avenue through the canyon, and so they are under the impression that they should get something for that effort. Yeah,
2: they lived up to their end of the bargain.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think also that some of that's just survival at this point, too, Mm. is that you've got war parties coming through, and none of that's going to be good for anybody.
0: Plus, you got to think, little dirt bikes like that, I mean, how big can those gas tanks be? Two, five gallons, 3,000 gallons would fill their motorcycles for a long, long time. Right. I mean, it's like winning the
1: lottery of like, you never, this is something you never have to worry about anymore. You've got like your sweet headdress, you've got that covered, you've got your bike, you got that covered, the fuel is now covered and
0: not so much anymore. Mm -hmm. They've got to chase her down, but if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, then we'd all have a Merry Christmas. And now we've got to salvage this situation, because this is what we found ourselves in. Yeah. Cutting inside the rig, we find Furiosa. She's climbing up through the little passageway. And the first thing that Max does when Furiosa gets back is he hands her this shotgun. Now, I've seen online discussion about the importance of the guns in this movie, specifically how they're taken and how they're given and all of this stuff. And the fact that Max giving Furiosa this shotgun is representative of him acknowledging her skill and value in this situation. Mm -hmm. And he took them because he didn't trust them, and now he's giving them back as a sign that he does trust them. And the next shot we see right around 55 seconds, I think, is Furiosa understanding and acknowledging this. At least that's how I understood That's how I interpret this look that passes between them.
2: I agree. I think that's a fair interpretation. I really like the passing of the weapon. He's got his eyes on the road. He's facing forward and he grabs the gun and holds it up without really being able to see her. They've already meshed. And that transition happened really quickly and not really noticing from them fighting to sitting in the car and he's taking all the guns to her saying, "I need you." Here's how to drive my truck, mm-hmm. and now, handy back of weapons. Like the transition happened really, really quickly.
1: This is kind of a poignant moment, and you know, there's so little dialogue in this ho- in this whole movie. And just with this one look, you you get that cementing of the relationship. That, and and I can't remember what point he talks about it. Um, maybe it's a little bit earlier, but he's talking about how like survival's basically paramount for him. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what he's about, and I think it's really. Not to get <laughs> not to get really mushy in this moment, but I think that this is a cool moment in that there's an acknowledgement that there's a way to survival here that has to deal with a connection and a community and an empathy for one another that's been built in this moment. Mm-hmm. That your way forward is is going to be through community, and that's your survival.
2: Which is something Max has gone out of his way to avoid mm. over the last few movies because originally he was of that mindset that the best way to survive is through community. And that kind of bit him in the ass yeah, and broke him down into Mad Max. So it's really nice to see him willing to do that again.
1: Yeah, you're right. This really is a turning point for the whole movie. These minutes right here are actually a turning point in the movie in terms of, of their cementing as we're all in this together and and, and really his commitment to... I Maybe mean, what what I think really turns out to be his redemption in a lot of ways. I'm going to do this again. I'm going to give it another try.
0: There's always room for redemption. I mean, till you're put in the ground, I guess. It goes back to uh, what Jim Goose used to say. You don't count out the goose until you see the fox going in the hole. Hmm. Right? I said that right?
2: Yes, you did. Okay. <laughs> Although I still think it's seeing the box go into the hole. But, you know, they both work.
0: Come see, come saw. <laughs> But here at the end of the minute, Molly, if people want to hear more of you, how would they go about doing that?
1: Well, uh, we're at cabinminutecast.com if you wanted to check out um, the Cabin in the Woods movies by minute. Uh, Eventually, we're going to be on Growler Media and should be by this recording. So you can check us out there and then iTunes and all the other uh, normal uh, pod catchers and this will be for escape from new york minute which i co-host with eric deutsch who also was co-hosting in flash gordon minute so if you guys haven't checked that out you should totally check that out as well and that is also a growler jam
0: as for us we will be coming back on wednesday we get to see how things are going with the war parties now that there's a giant rock wall in front of them nux is going to get another chance to attack the war rig and slit has a boat. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
2: The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers.
0: Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies by Daniel Bautista of DanielBautista.com.
2: Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone.
0: If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full.
2: Thank you for joining us for Minute 52 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.